chat. I also want to start the message by saying thank you to North Point Church in Atlanta for sharing a lot of the resources for this series that we started a couple weeks ago. And basically, we've been answering the question, what do you do when there's nothing that you can do? Which is sort of, I think, where we all feel. Uh, we feel with this virus, feel with the shelter and home order, which basically has been continued through May now for most of us in the Bay Area. And it just sort of seems like there's nothing that we can do. And for many of us, again, maybe it's something that you're starting to feel the loss of something. You're losing a dream that um, none of us really started the new year saying, oh, I want to spend more time at home, like all the time at home. And none of us really had that dream. And for some of us, we're starting to experience birthdays, anniversaries, and things in our lives where it just seems like it's not going to be the way that we thought it would be. And there's really nothing that we can do to change that. And there's really just no way to fix it. What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? And basically, there's a temptation always to sort of run away. There's a temptation to abandon. There's a temptation to sort of, um, you know, do something stupid, maybe to kind of drink away your worries or to just stay high all the time so you don't have to worry about the things in life and whatever the thing might be for you. But we all know that that's just going to create more complicated circumstances in the long run. And that's not necessarily going to solve anything either. And then to top it all off, we sort of have this interesting phenomenon where we go online and we look at the highlight reels of other people's lives through social media. And then we go back to our lives that are the not-so-highlight reels, and it just seems like we're comparing, and it's like, how am I not living up to that standard of other people, even though it's not really a good comparison? What do you do when it seems like there's nothing that you can do? And so last week, or week one, I should say, we started the series by talking about kind of the, the basic kind of theological question. We got to the heart of the theological issue, like, where does God play in all this? And in these in-the-meantime moments. And we discovered that adversity does not equal that God is absent. It does not equal that God is apathetic, and it does not equal that God is angry at us. In fact, we sort of sifted out, like, what is actually new in this whole situation, this new normal? Like, what is actually new, and what is something that's, like, continued and carried over from, you know, this new normal, but it's actually been something we've done before? And we found that in this new normal, it includes God being present, God being concerned, and God being loving. That this new normal that we're all trying to figure out, it includes something that actually has been the case for a long time that God is loving and that God is concerned and God is present. And then last week we sort of rediscovered something, or maybe some of us discovered for the first time, that all of us, but particularly Christians, but all of us are invited into this option to view our circumstances and to view adversity, these in the meantime seasons of life, as an opportunity from our Heavenly Father. That, that God might want to do something in our life with both a purpose and a promise for us. And um, we're all sort of invited in to receive this season as an opportunity with a purpose and a promise. And the purpose is maybe a little bit unknown for most of us. I think for most of us, it's going to be unknown for a while, for a long time. But the promise is that God's grace is always with us and it sustains us and it helps us through these difficult seasons. It's sufficient for us. As we've said, one of the things that's helpful to do when you're in the, in the meantime kind of season or you're going through adverse situations is to remember that the women and the men who bring us the story of Jesus were not strangers to adversity. Like you look at their lives and it was very difficult and very trying and there was turmoil all, all over their lives. And we sort of saw this last week with Paul, that Paul was somebody who hated Christians until he became one. And he starts planting churches around the Mediterranean Sea. And eventually he comes across this problem in his life that's very painful, it's very humiliating, it's debilitating. And he realizes eventually that it's permanent. And he asks God to take it away, but God says no. And somehow amongst all of that, this painful, humiliating, debilitating, permanent thing, somehow Paul does not have to divorce his confidence from God. And somehow amongst in that whole situation, he can, says you can live in the meantime circumstances and still believe God and still trust in God. 
And so the next question might be obvious to ask is well, like, well, how do you continue to move forward, Paul? After something like that, like how do you continue to take steps forward? How do you move forward in your life when it just looks like the season isn't gonna change, nothing's gonna happen, and things aren't going the way that you hoped they would go? Like how do you continue to move forward, Paul? And so today we're gonna look at a pretty bold claim from Paul actually, a pretty bold statement that, that he makes about how to move forward. And sort of in the midst of all this adversity and things that, that are going on that you don't like, the circumstances you don't want to be happening, Paul says there's a way to find contentment. And if you don't know what contentment is, contentment is sort of on a neutral level. It's sort of when things are going on around you, they don't impact what's going on inside of you. And sort of on the positive side, you could say like when things are going great all around you, you're not striving. You're not longing for upgrading and improving and better and all those things. You're not working for that on the inside. But more, maybe more relevant to us is the other side of it, the negative side of it, that when things all around you are negative, things on the outside are negative and not going the way you hoped they would go, that somehow you can stop striving internally. And I think right now many of us are striving internally. We're striving in different ways. Some of us are, are striving internally to you know, focus on projects and, and make to-do lists. And we're sort of striving for this piece of completion, that we want to complete things. Um, others of you are striving and, and you want to just like Zoom and FaceTime and call every person you know because you're looking for peace of community. Um, others of you are striving, well not really not striving in some ways, by going down YouTube rabbit trails and you're binge watching your favorite shows and you're just trying to find peace by not avoiding or by avoiding the problems of life. And in some ways Paul sort of reminds us in his own words and his circumstances would sort of remind us that in Christ there really is a way to find contentment in spite of the fact that we have really no control over the circumstances that are around us. The things that are going on outside of us, we can find contentment in spite of all those things that are going on around us. And again, he steps onto the pages of history as somebody that's arresting Christians, but then he becomes one. And then he launches out on this amazing missionary journey where he's planting churches all over the place. And somewhere along the way though, about 10 years in, he's arrested. He's put under house arrest and he's shipped to Rome. Now it's one thing to be a Christian in Rome, it's another thing to be a Christian in Rome and be under house arrest. It's a whole nother thing to be a Christian in Rome under house arrest with Nero as the emperor. And if you don't know, Nero was the emperor at this time, and Nero would do some terrible things to Christians. He would use Christians as lights in his garden. He would, he would take every opportunity to blame the Christians for whatever the thing was. He wouldn't miss an opportunity to do that. And so here's Paul. He's in Rome under house arrest with Nero as the emperor. From all accounts, it would seem like Rome has won and Jesus has lost. Like the empire of Rome has won, the kingdom of God has lost. That, that, that Nero has won and Paul has lost. And yet Paul is sort of this ambitious guy who wants to like sort of change the world and he wants to do these amazing things, but he can't do anything. He can't go anywhere. He's under house arrest. And so he decides to do something that's a bit unique and I'm gonna to need to explain it to some of you. He decides to write some letters. Now, if you were born like after 1990, let me explain this to you because you might not know what this is. Like people used to take a piece of paper, write a message on it, and then send it to another person for it to be delivered to them. They would receive this letter and then they would read it. Like this is way before text messaging and email and chats and all these kind of apps that we use. People would write letters. So Paul decides to write some letters. And I think he had no idea the impact that they were gonna have. And I think little did he know that those writings, those letters, would become some of the most read and translated pieces of literature of all time. And Paul's basically saying like, there's nothing I can do. Like, what am I gonna do in the meantime? Like, I have to do something, so I'll make the best of it. I'll write some letters to these people, my friends who I helped start these churches with. 
And so he wrote what's known as the, the prison letters, the, the letters of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And basically in his mind, he's thinking like, well, what else am I going to do? There's nothing else I can do. But in reality, he's changing the Western world. He's changing the way people view God. He's changing the way non-Jewish people view God. And his impact has continued to be felt because, again, these were the most read, most published letters. They would become a part of culture. They would become a part of languages in the vernacular of the time. And I think, really, you can make an argument that after Jesus and after Jesus left this earth, Paul was the person who most impacted the world and most impacted the Western world specifically. That right up until Gutenberg's printing press, which was a huge impact on the world, even then, Paul's writings were part of what Gutenberg was printing. He was mass-producing his writings that he wrote while he was in prison. And I think that's pretty incredible. And I don't think some of you are realizing how incredible this is. I can't see you right now, but you know, it's, you're not quite getting it. So ladies, let me start with you. Ladies, do you realize that uh, Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, while he was in prison? And in that book of Ephesians, he writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church. And be willing to give your life just as Christ was willing to give his life for the church. Now, ladies, aren't you glad that Paul went to prison so that he could write that for your husband? <laughs> right? Like, that's a powerful thing. And that's only just the beginning. And in Paul's letters that we're going to read today, the, the book of uh, Philippians, he's writing to the people of, uh, in Philippi, he, again, he addresses this idea of contentment. And he sort of makes a big, bold statement that, um, that I want to show you, and I want to try to illustrate to you, and then I want to try to wrap up with a song at the end here. So basically, again, he's writing this under house arrest in Rome, under Nero as the emperor, and he's writing to these people. And um, he's going to basically say, like, I'm not sure what's going to happen with my life. There's nothing I can really do to change what's ahead for me. Like, Rome will get to me when they get to me. If they get to me, I might die first. So I'm going to write these letters. Again, so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Um, if you want to follow along the Bible app, you can go to the Bible app. You can also go to the notes page, uh, notes tab uh, next to the chat. We'll also have some stuff in the chat as well. We'll have the link to the notes in the chat. And you can follow along on the screen as well. We'd love for you to do that. Again, Paul's writing this to the church in Philippi, the people in Philippi, when he's under arrest. He says this, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. And Paul started using this as sort of a launching off point to, again, talk about this kind of complex, difficult idea of contentment. He says this, verse 11, Not that I was ever in need for, and basically it's like, I'm glad you remember me, I'm glad you didn't forget me, but I wasn't really in need for, he says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Basically, for I have learned because it took a while. Like, for I have learned because it's a process. For I have learned because it's not intuitive, it's not natural. But for I have learned to be content, how to be content with whatever I have, whatever the circumstances might be. And the idea of contentment that he's talking about is kind of, I'm going to explain what it is. And I'm also going to tell you what it's not. But what it is, is basically saying, I've learned to deal with it. I've learned not to let it drag me down and bother me. That when things are all around me bad, I don't have to let that stress me out on the inside. That I've learned how to be content, that I'm not striving, I'm not yearning. And interestingly, in Paul's case, he says, and I'm not running away from it either. And he says that, and we just think, like, two things, Paul. Like, I got two things for you. One, like, that's impossible, Paul. Like, I don't even know how you describe that. Like, that's just not possible. And if that is somehow possible, I want some of that. Like, it might not be how you describe it. It might not be to the extreme that you describe it. But if somehow that's a little bit true, I want some of that in my life. And the thing is, he's not talking about just being happy. He's not talking about, like, oh, I'm glad I'm miserable today. Like, I'm glad this is happening. Another serving of miserable for me today, please. Like, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying something that is really powerful that you can be okay on the inside 
even when outside everything doesn't look okay, when everything is going on around you and you have no control over what's happening. And I think most of us would say, I want to learn that. Like, Paul, where do I sign up for the master class on that? Because I want the cliff notes, I want the full notes, I want everything. I would like to learn how to do that in my life and have that in my life. But I want to be very clear about something. This is not just saying, like, I'm not caring about something. Like, this isn't Paul as just being an apathetic person. Because that might be easy, right? To kind of be content and not be caring at all. Paul is a very ambitious person. He's quite the opposite of being apathetic. He's a very ambitious person who basically single-handedly want to tell everybody about Jesus around the world. And so Paul, when he wasn't a Christian, he wanted to kill all of them. When he became a Christian, he wanted to win all the people. And it's kind of this interesting thing that Paul is a very ambitious person, and yet he says, in the middle of all those circumstances, in spite of all those circumstances, I've learned the secret of how to be content. And I think that he wants to share that with us. Verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Basically, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Contentment isn't about having a lot or about having a little. Little Having or not having is not the issue, he might say, right? Like, it's not, that's not the issue with contentment. I know how to live on almost nothing and with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. And basically in the Greek um, text, Paul sort of reaches outside of biblical literature and he sort of uses a word that's really used nowhere else and he doesn't use really anywhere else. And it's not anywhere in the New Testament except this one situation. And it's kind of like those moments when you're having a conversation with someone and, and you want to use like a, a five-syllable word or use a word that's really unexpected and, and everybody kind of stops and says, whoa, like where did that word come from? Like you've been saving that or you've been waiting to use that or something? Like isn't it interesting that when you use one of those words, it sort of gets people to stop for a second and pay attention. And Paul, in the same way, every once in a while in his literature, he would sort of use a unique word that was used nowhere else, and he'd sort of drop it in there with the same idea in mind that he wanted to get people to stop and to recognize something new or to see something a little bit differently. And the term that he uses here is basically a Greek word that really is only used in, in like mystic cultic groups. It's like not very Christian at all. It's sort of this idea to learn the secret. That's the word, that's the one word in Greek. And it's, again, sort of used in, in cultic mysticism. And it's sort of this idea of con conveying the idea that somebody's been initiated or brought into a secret or unique group where they have, like, special or unique or secret understanding of each other. Like, they sort of understand each other in a unique way. And this word was used by Herodotus. It was used by Plato. It was used by Plutarch, um, among many others. And basically, he's saying, like, I've somehow gotten into this unique group of people that understand what contentment is. It's not unique in that nobody else is open to it. It's just unique in that not very many other people find the secret of this. They don't, they don't discover this. They don't experience contentment in their lives in the same way that I've found. That I've found that no matter what is happening around me, no matter what the circumstances are, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, I've been able to find this unique, this interesting thing of contentment. And I think we sort of reply and say, like, Paul, like, that's one thing to find contentment. I'm not even sure I could survive the things that you've gone through. Like, I hear about all these things that you've gone through, and, like, you just kept getting the stuff beat out of you, and you were, like, left for dead, and you were stoned, and, like, you were bitten by a snake, and you were shipwrecked, and you were, like, kicked out of cities, and you'd have to climb over walls, and I'm not even sure how I could survive that, let alone how could I find contentment in all those crazy circumstances of what was happening around you on the outside? How could you find peace on the inside? In the next verse that Paul shares with us, it's one of the more famous verses that you might say. Um, it's also one of the most misapplied verses in really all of scriptures, you might argue. Um, you've probably heard it, you've probably seen it written in some fashion or some way around the world. And unfortunately, I think part of the reason that it's so easy to misapply is it's so easy to remember. It's kind of a pithy and powerful statement that Paul gives us. 
But remember, the context is important to what Paul says. And the context of what Paul is saying is, this is the way, this is sort of the summary of the way that you find contentment in your life. That even when you're in prison, like he is, or when you're going through the difficult seasons, that the circumstances around you are chaotic, and and it just seems, in his case, it's life-threatening, you might argue. This is how you find contentment. So I've switched to a different translation to help us to understand this a little bit better. Verse 13, he says, I can do all this. And we might ask, like, all what, Paul? And Paul would say, like, being persecuted, run out of town, stoned and left for dead, and and facing death by not giving my allegiance to Rome or to Nero, and and kind of going through all these things that I don't know what's going to happen to me. I can face all those things. I can do all this. I can do all this through him. And Paul would say that's Christ. He's talking about Jesus specifically. I can do all this. I can survive all this. I can maintain my commitment to Christ and follow him through this. And I can find contentment. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Who gives me his strength, Paul would say, like Jesus' strength. It's not his own strength, it's Jesus' strength for him. And there's sort of this mystery for Jesus followers, people who call themselves Jesus followers. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you're invited into this. But for Jesus followers, there's kind of this interesting thing, this mystery, that, that somehow where the life of Jesus, like the strength of Jesus, the endurance of Jesus, somehow is available to you and to me. But there's this mystery involved that somehow Jesus' life and Jesus' um, endurance and strength are somehow available to us in our lives. And we don't know how this exactly happens. It's kind of a mystery. Now, I want to be a bit critical here for a second, and um, just to be a bit clear, too, I don't think Paul is talking about getting ready for a sporting event. As much as teenage me would like that to be true about this verse, that's probably not what this verse is talking about. This isn't some sort of hype song to get you ready for you know trying to win the big game. This is about surviving and sacrificing when you might lose. And knowing that and going into it with that mentality, that this isn't about winning for Jesus. Sometimes this is about losing or sacrificing for Jesus. And somehow Paul would say, I can maintain my composure when all the things around me say you shouldn't maintain your composure. And Paul would say, I can be strong and I can only be that strong with Jesus giving me his strength. So let me summarize. I want to give you something to do and then we'll kind of wrap this up and tell you why this is important. Paul is basically saying, I can't, he can, he can through me. That I can't, that really I'm not able. I'm not even going to try to lie and say that I can. I'm just going to you know, admit it and sort of say, I can't. He can is basically the reason that he thinks that Jesus can is because Jesus would walk into a city where he's eventually going to be killed and he would walk in under his own power on purpose for my sin and for your sin. If he can do that on purpose, then my little thing is sort of nothing. Like, he has the strength. Apparently, he can do it. And he can through me that maybe you're really anxious about this whole situation, whether it's financially or with your job or with your family or your health, whatever it might be, that you can have contentment in this, in the meantime season that we're in right now. Because your Savior and my Savior lives inside of you and lives inside of me that he can through me. So to help you think about this uh, over the next week and sort of, we've sort of given you a little reminder, something that maybe you can just um, tape onto your um, mirror in the morning, but basically you can find this in the chat. We'll give you a link to it, but you can also go to our website a little bit later, but basically just a little little uh, piece of paper that you can print off for yourself. And um, we've been doing this in our be- bathroom, I should say, and putting it on the mirror and taping it on the mirror so that every morning we see it and when we go to bed, we see it as well. And so basically, I'd encourage you that when you get ready in the morning, well, I would say in the morning, but some of you maybe are getting ready a little bit closer to afternoon, but when you go in the morning or you go in the bathroom and you look in the mirror, you start off your day sort of saying, before I even start, 
I just need to acknowledge, God, I can't, but I believe that you can. And then when you come back to brush your teeth, hopefully you're brushing your teeth before you go to bed, but you kind of whisper this prayer, God, teach me the mystery of Christ in me. That somehow there's this mystery that you can live inside of me. Would you teach me what that looks like so that I could actually have peace inside of me because of your strength living inside of me? That I want to learn the secret of contentment, but it's not intuitive and I don't understand how to do it. It's not automatic. So God, would you teach me the secret of Christ in me? So in the morning, pray that. In the evening, pray that. And you can just print this out on the, on the website and we'd love for you to print it out and uh, remember this throughout the week. So kind of to wrap this up, the, basically the bottom line for today's message is that in the meantime, we can learn the, the secret of contentment, that it's Christ in us and he's empowering us. That in the, in the meantime, seasons of life are maybe the best times to learn contentment. We would all love to sign up for the positive times when everything's good and we're trying not to want too much or upgrade too much or whatever. But in those in the meantime seasons that are negative, sometimes contentment can stick in our lives in a way that it won't when things are going well. So much of what Paul wrote really was written as kind of an interesting thing. It was written during extraordinary adversity. And, you know, Paul had sort of, I think, no idea of what hung in the balance because of his writings and what he would do. And I think Paul had no idea who he would impact by his choice to remain faithful and continue to follow God and continue to follow what Jesus wanted him to do. Even when the circumstances said, you shouldn't do that. Like, what's Jesus done for you lately, Paul? And Paul would continue to do that. And I think Paul had no idea. How could he? He had no idea what God, God was up to through him. Because what are the odds that letters written in the Roman Empire while someone was under house arrest would even survive to our century today? let alone become one of the most widely read pieces of literature ever. Because think about it, back in those days, emperors would have things written down or they would dictate things that would be written down and they would be like copied and they would be put into vaults and they'd be protected so that they could last through history. And those things have not survived. And Paul writes one copy of something, hands it to somebody says, go deliver this. And we still have it today and we're still reading that document Today, do you know what hung in the balance of Paul's decision to remain faithful? Do you know who was impacted by Paul's decision to remain faithful in his season of life? You and I were impacted. The church was impacted. We were impacted. We hung in the balance of Paul's decision to remain faithful when all the circumstances said you shouldn't. And don't miss this. This is an important point. The reason he was able to accomplish what he did was because of his adversity and his response to his adversity. Now, here's where it gets to be a real big issue for me and for you. You and I really have no idea. We really have no idea who or what could be impacted by your decision to remain faithful in this, in the meantime, season that we're in. We have no idea who could be impacted by it. You really have no idea what God might be up to because of your faithfulness and your choice to continue to follow him when everything around you, the circumstances around you say you shouldn't. There's really no point in being ethical. There's no point in being moral. There's no point in telling the truth. It doesn't really matter anymore. There's no, there's no point in helping others. There's no, there's no point in you know, like staying. There's no point in, in being in this relationship. There's no point in making wise decisions. Um, there's no point in saying yes to God because even when you say yes to God, viruses still happen. Pandemics still happen. Like, What's the reason to continue to say yes to God? And the problem, the tragedy, and really the challenge is that we have no idea what hangs in the balance of our decision to remain faithful to God unless we choose to remain faithful to God. Because your choice to not remain faithful might cause somebody else to slip up, 
but you won't know that. And you might know who stays following Jesus. You might know the impact of your decisions if you stay faithful to God throughout the adversity in your life. Because many of us have learned that oftentimes God works his biggest things in our lives through adversity. And so we sort of have found ourselves in the meantime circumstance. We've sort of found ourselves, all of us, together in an in-the-meantime season of life. And God is not absent. God is not apathetic. God is not angry. And during, uh, during adversity, God sometimes is at work in the biggest ways that he can work. And the worst thing that we could possibly do is hit the abandon button, hit the unfollow button, or, or somehow try to get ourselves out of these circumstances by doing something else that would just complicate things more and cause more problems. Instead of simply saying, God, I wouldn't choose this for me. And God, I wouldn't even choose this for my enemy. But here I am. Would you teach me what it means to be content in these circumstances that we're in right now? Would you show me? Would you help me to learn? Because it's not natural to me. And so what I want you to do is think about one last thing before we wrap up is I want you to think about this one part, one part of the crisis right now, the one part of this crisis that pushes you towards discontentment in your life, that pushes you in a direction that you don't want to go. The one thing, maybe it's the person that you're quarantined with right now. Maybe it's um, something that you're reading or you're seeing online or you're comparing yourself to somebody else on social media. Maybe it's just the uncertainty of financial or, or your job or your family or your health or whatever the case might be. Whatever that thing is, it might just be the epicenter of where God has the greatest potential to change and to impact and to work in your life. And Paul was in prison when he began this writing ministry of writing letters. And it changed the world because of that little thing he did. And whenever you hear somebody's story or you hear about something God did, isn't it interesting that you don't hear about their wrinkle-free days, right? <laughs> you usually hear about something chaotic and circumstances around them are swimming around them. So what is the thing in this season of your life that is keeping you from contentment and keeping you maybe from remaining faithful to following Jesus? What is that one thing? Because in the meantime, let's learn what contentment is. Let's learn what it means for Christ to be in us and empowering us.